This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 627 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Three new tales of Golden Age greats, Clark argues with himself, rehab for super villains, new champions are chosen on Danger Street, and a call for the lightning round. This is How I Got My Wife to Read Comics for Sunday, November 12, 2023. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just remind you, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe to your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. So we had an unplanned hiatus of the show due to COVID. We're doing much better now resulting in six weeks of comics to cover. So let's get started with Alan Scott Green Lantern, number one by Sheridan, Tormey, and Herms. Jay Garrick, The Flash, number one by Adams, Ortoegui, and Guerrero. And Wesley Dodds, The Sandman by Venditti, Rosmo, and Placencia. Three miniseries spinning out of the new JSA series, apparently unrelated in terms of story, but we'll see. Green Lantern begins in 1941. Alan has been called to meet with J. Edgar Hoover. Hoover wants to see the newly formed JSA together rather than Alan working alone. Hoover is insistent to the point that he shows Alan his file and the secret within. As we already know, Alan is gay and had a longtime partner. They met while in the Army in the 30s working on a mysterious project involving the Crimson Flame. It's hoped that it can be controlled and used as a weapon. Back to 1941, and Alan conferring with Doiby Dickles in the Golden Age Heroes had comic relief sidekicks. Doiby tells him to work with the JSA and just keep the secret. A radio bulletin sends Alan into action. Back to the Crimson Flame, the experiment to capture it goes horribly wrong. Back to 1941, the cops are surprised to see GL return so soon as he just left with a hostage taker. Suddenly, there's a ball of red energy about to crash into the area. Back to the 30s, Alan's paramour is taken away by the Crimson Flame, and they are forced to release it to save themselves. Back to 1941, Green Lantern appears with a body that came out of the flame, and Jay, Flash, arrives to help. He notes that the man in Alan's arms somehow drowned. And it's his partner! Back to the 30s, Alan watches his partner dragged off and repeats what he heard. First, we bring death. Cut to Alan being given electroshock therapy in an insane asylum? Flash begins in 1963, where Jay is racing to save his wife, Joan, alongside his daughter, Judy, a.k.a. Boom. Judy impetuously races ahead while Jay disarms Bomb on a dam. He misses one, the bomb goes off, and then Jay repairs the damage at super speed. He then finds Joan, who asks about Judy. Jay reminds her that they don't have a daughter, 
Perhaps she was injured in the explosion? Cut to present day. Judy is reintroduced to Joan, who immediately remembers her. Judy was taken out of time in the events of the Stargirl Mini. Judy learns that there is a whole mess of speedsters now, and it will take her a while to readjust. But there's a report on the TV. A bank robbery. Judy runs off to stop it. Onlookers are confused, and Jay arrives to mop things up. Judy is told she can't run off like that. Joan couldn't handle losing her again. Judy retorts that they handled Dr. Elemental, who could be more dangerous. Jay only remembers the villain once he's mentioned. That was the day Judy disappeared. Back to 1963, Judy breaks Joan out of a trap set by Dr. Elemental, who then shows Judy his face. She recognizes it. Is it Perdegaton? Judy fades from existence and the world forgets her. Jay finds Joan. Elemental is in the shadows. He got a second chance at victory no matter how long it takes. Sandman begins in 1940. A mobster is accosted by Wesley Dodds, who so terrifies the crook that he agrees to confess to the cops. Wesley is having visions of the future and many colorful characters, the JSA. He also has visions of the past in World War I, his father in the trenches, where he saw fellow troops horribly killed by gas. That was Wesley's inspiration for his sleep gas. But there were multiple failed attempts beforehand killing animal test subjects. He decides he needs to put Sandman aside to save humanity from itself. He visits a colonel and attempts to sell him on the idea of sleep gas in combat as a non-lethal alternative. The colonel is nonplussed. Maiming and killing is simpler and cheaper. Depressed, Wesley is dragged to a party by his girlfriend, Diane Belmont. There he runs into Rex Tyler, who will become our man. Wesley can't shake his depression and leaves Diane at the party. He then decides to break out of his depression by kicking some heads as Sandman, a fire truck runs by and Wesley grabs onto it. It arrives at his home, engulfed in flames. Anyone who read the 1990s Sandman Mystery Theater will enjoy this title. Superman lost number 7 of 10 by Priest, Pagulian, Weeks, Paz, Cox, and Brightweiser. We begin on day 71 after Clark's return. He's decided he can't cope with what happened and goes to see a shrink. Kara recommended him. Clark realizes how patronizing he's been to his cousin and that he's losing Lois. Back to year 19 with Clark in the singularity alongside an older version of himself. The elder version tells him he will never find Earth again. Then we go to day 9,125 and an aged Clark in the suit but in a wheelchair. He's panhandling and squatting in a tenement. Jimmy finds him there. What happened? Clark is caring for two scientists who led a team that reversed the greenhouse effect, saving the Earth but stopping Superman from absorbing yellow solar rays. They tried to fix him at the DNA level, but it resulted in damaging their own. Clark talks about an alien attack 25 years prior after his powers began to fade. Despite this, he led the heroes and his hubris got many of them killed. The aliens were finally rebuffed via technology. Jimmy takes Clark to an abandoned alien ship. The government is willing to send Clark up out of the atmosphere where he may regain his powers, but can never return. The younger Clark interrupts the story, which is all it is. Elder Clark is just trying to delay him, so he misses his opportunity because it is only a one in a million chance. Young Clark takes the shot and is left unconscious in deep space. He's found by Adam Strange. Hmm... 
epilogue, Lois is desperate enough in her desire to save Clark that she meets with Luthor. She's hoping Lex will attack Clark and that will snap him out of it. Instead, Lex secretly gives Lois cancer and says, get a second opinion, then tell him that ought to wake him up. You're welcome. And we're back to the start of the issue. She decides not to tell Clark. Fire and Ice, welcome to Smallville number two and three by Starer, Bustos, and Bonvillian. Fire has hired Ambush Bug to let her beat him up on camera in an attempt to raise her social profile. No one knows who he is, so it has little effect. Rocky arrives at the salon to take ice on a girl's day. Fire decides to post photos of minor villains in the salon with plans to dispatch them. Included in the set, Beefeater, a Justice League Europe-era hero, Honey, who can control serotonin and dopamine, Lot's wife, with the ability to turn objects to salt, who also hosts a cooking show, Miss Congeniality, a far-right pageant queen, King of Cats, who thinks he can control cats, Maxi Zeus, a delusional bat villain, Gentleman Ghost, a Golden Age phantom, Link, sister of Gorilla Grodd, and Smarty Pants, a man with two extra brains. Fire goes to a bar while Ice and Rocky go to a used bookstore to buy books for kids in the hospital. The bartender hits on fire and she might be receptive, but later. Ice returns to the salon to find those same villains working there. Fire has decided to start a rehab program to give them a second chance and run an internet reality show while doing it. We get confessionals from the various villains, O and Ambush Bug. This quickly turns into chaos just in time for Jimmy Olsen to arrive because why not? Jimmy's there to report on Fire's rehab program. Turns out Lot's wife had her agent call the press. Fire and Ice desperately try to control the chaos. Tam takes Jimmy outside and they talk about turtles. Jimmy was once Turtle Boy. Some of the villains are told to do their jobs while others are told to hide upstairs. The bartender arrives to get a haircut and the ladies drool over him. Rocky tells them about a strange cannibalistic cow in town, and Ice wonders if it's related to an old tale from her homeland, a creature that creates an all-consuming hunger. Everything is falling apart, and it looks like Jimmy's story will shut down the whole thing, before Honey bewitches him into writing a glowing review. Ice consoles Fire, holed up in the confessional. Jimmy goes to take a group photo, sneezes due to all the cats, and turns into a giant turtle. They run to the second floor, which Jimmy just crashed into, only to find Lot's wife eating Beefeater. I'm sorry, I was just so hungry. This title is throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks. Danger Street, book 10 from DC Black Label by King, Fornays, and Stewart. After the last issue focusing on the final battle, or the fatal battle, between Manhunter and Assassin, we're back to the main format, jumping around between stories. Jack Ryder decides to smoke on the roof of the office tower with an uncomfortable elevator trip in the middle, only to find the aforementioned combatants both dead there. Lady Cop tries to advise the FBI about what she's learned of the Commodore, giving us a little reminder of what's been going on. Their response? Call Superman. This leaves her alone with Dr. Fate's helmet in front of her. Nonfat brings Warlord up to speed and asks Morgan for his help. Someone should call the Justice League. Aren't you the Justice League? No, but he's willing to help. Step one is talking to Starman. 
Ryder shows the Commodore the dead bodies on the roof. The Commodore responds by grabbing the diamond sword and tells Jack that he knows that Jack's the Creeper. He asks Jack for his loyalty at Sword Point. The Creeper is now the Commodore's knight. High Father uses his power to try to stop the sky from falling, but fails as Dark Side looks on. Warlord meets with Starman in his bed and asks the alien to find the mother box that Atlas had in order to find the body. In this state, will it kill you? I don't know. Starman agrees to try, saying everyone wants to be Superman. As the Commodore and Jack Ryder discuss their plans, a member of the Outsider lurks, well, outside. Meanwhile, Lady Cop argues with a flight attendant about putting her bag under the seat. Since it holds Fate's helmet, she'd rather hold on to it. Starman finds the mother box, and Warlord finds Orion, drunk, alongside it. They fight, then decide to work together. Orion needs Atlas's soul, and Warlord needs the body of the boy and Fate's helmet. Back to Ryder, now in creeper mode, fighting the outsiders and realizing they're just kids. All they want is to find the helmet, which will make everything better. A final page goes around the horn with the helmet narrating. As we near the end, they all desire but one thing. They all, all of them, need me. To be continued. Well, we're quite a ways into this episode, and we still have five books to cover. So I am activating... The Lightning Round. Superman 78, The Metal Curtain Number 1 by Vendetti, Guidry, and Belair. This one snuck up on Mark. It's another story from the Christopher Reeve movie area. It's pretty simple. When Krypton exploded, a chunk of kryptonite fell in the Soviet Union. Now they plan to use it to power up a soldier to be named Metallo. There's also a story of Lois tracking down the U.S. Army doing illegal arms sales. She's almost killed. Soup saves her. Perry refuses to print the story as she lost a recording of the whole thing. The soldier stepped on her recorder. The arms sale was to the Soviets, who bought an armored suit for Metallo to use. The Unstoppable Doom Patrol, number 7 of 7, by Culver, Burnham, and Reber. The team is stretched to the limit by the Brotherhood of Evil, along with General Immortus becoming the Eternal Flame. Jane and Mento are cut loose to do what they do. The team turns the quiz to their side, and the magic team sends the Eternal Flame to the abandoned Danny the Street, where he finds the Batwoman who laughs. Meanwhile, the team now have to deal with Peacemaker and his giant robots. The title basically ends in the middle of a storyline. And it's the last issue. Yeah. Fables number 160 from DC, Black Label by Willingham, Buckingham, Lealoa, and Lafridge. This once charming book is now racing to a conclusion. That's because DC, after dragging the team back to do more issues of the title, delayed the whole thing and then decided to kill it with issue number 162. Willingham retaliated by announcing that he owns the concept and that he placed it in public domain. Don't think that's going to work. Anyway, Peter Pan, terribly wounded, kills the elder green of the forest, taking his home only to battle Bigby. Cinderella, having ordered U.S. troops to surround ancient artifacts in the forest, is fired for her trouble. Tinkerbell takes the cubs and Snow hostage. Just as she's about to start killing, Peter calls for Tinkerbell to save him, and she flies off. Seems like five issues in a one-issue bag. Black Hammer, The End, number three from Dark Horse by Lemire, Ward, and Pecos. Multiple storylines going on. Antigod is about to return. A team of multiverse heroes are being collected by Colonel Weird with hopes they can stop Antigod. 
but without a black hammer, that's a long shot. Lucy has taken her family to the pocket universe of Rockwood to keep them safe. Unfortunately, the danger follows them there. Golden Gale is reminded of her magic word and returns to kick some ass. The Unteens prepare to attack Anti-God just as the multiversal heroes arrive. The evil Black Hammer, Lucy's dad, arrives in limbo and checks in with Anti-God. Rose and Insector Detector are on the road on the way to meet R. Walden Laurie, writer of the Black Hammer comic, and an anagram for Randall Weird. Rose plans to torture Weird and then maybe become a new Black Hammer. This finale is getting more and more complicated. Rivers of London, Here Be Dragons, number 404 from Titan by Swallow, Cartmel, and Baroy. Peter and Grant discover that the wyverns are attacking humans because their egg was stolen. Peter tracks down plugs, and we hear again about how he wound up in the fairy world with Jimi Hendrix. When Hendrix couldn't be coerced into staying, they gave him two wyverns instead. He released them into the world where they lived happily for decades. Peter commandeers a Hendrix guitar from the London Hard Rock Cafe and gets Spooner to play it in an unused stadium. The helicopter team agrees to lure the wyverns there by playing Hendrix on their speakers. The scheme works, and the now tame wyverns enjoy the performance. Unfortunately, the Fae, who started the whole thing, arrived to collect the wyverns. A fight is about to begin when Grant returns with a queen of the Fae, who tells her subjects to stand down. The wyverns are taken to the fields of Wales to live out their lives. Announcer bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.